0: at paypal.me forward slash hpopod the link to both of those can also be found in the show notes finally please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform now on to the next topic
1: we're getting there now we're we're (laughs) about to hit a million we're we're about to hit a million uh downloads uh, zach i'm looking at between youtube and the uh you know, and the uh, what do you call it? The, the, all the other stuff we're, we're all, all the yeah. Mm-hmm. We're probably close to a million based on that because we got, I think we got about eight hundred fifty thousand on the Libsyn and close to one hundred fifty
2: on the. Jeez, why, why to make me me nervous? Uh, <laughs>
1: <champagne>. <laughs> well, that's over. That's over eighty episodes. So you you probably you know you'll probably end up. I bet at least fifteen thousand people hear this one, and say so it's going to grow as we go. So cool. Awesome. Well, well, Adam, welcome for coming. Zach, are we recording? Yeah, yeah. we're up we're already up. So yeah, we always leave the bullshit in just because it's, know, people like this stuff. it's funny. Adam. Um, first of all, thank you for coming on all the way down in Australia. What time is it? What time is it? Now? It's in the morning there,
2: right? It's seven o'clock in the morning.
1: Oh, that's not too bad. That's not
2: tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, uh, no.
1: yeah. Good <laughs> things first. It's like uh,
0: <laughs> I, Adam, I was actually in New Zealand last uh, December. So I'm f- fairly familiar with that time zone. It is kind of goofy, like you know, moving, moving that far across time zones and stuff being you know, on a different day and everything like that. But I'll say this, it was nice coming back because we landed like, I think, I think it ended up being like an hour before we technically left. So we left New Zealand on Christmas Eve in the morning and then got back to the States Christmas Eve in the morning by a time yeah. standpoint. So
1: <laughs> yeah, you went back and you got yogurt. We yeah.
2: Were <laughs> proud of our time zone here we we haven't gone with daylight saving we've always rejected i think we had it for a little bit we have trials and then we end up having a referendum and saying no um but the effect of that is that we we get to stay in a pretty pretty cool time zone we got uh, beijing in there we got delhi um bit of an economic uh you know power powerhouse
1: in the time know. zone got yeah. of i mean zach's
2: in a weird because in yeah. arizona
1: they do kind of the same thing it's one of the some of the states in the u.s don't recognize time zones. i I can never figure out what damn time it is whenever I'm in Arizona cuz I can't remember if you yeah. or you don't switch and, <laughs> and you know it's kind of funny so it's kind of yeah. entire,
0: but- we're Pacific half the year and mountain the other half so when you guys change turn your clocks back or forward we stay the same but we just shift over so I always end up screwing something up around that time when when it comes to scheduling but <laughs> it is what yeah. it is well, we
1: had uh, – I, I had a bunch of crew out from Australia a couple of weeks ago to do a little filming on this crazy carnivore diet. And, you know, I, I gave – you know, I, I've kind of given your name as a, as a potential resource, so maybe they'll hit you up later. I know they've talked about maybe expanding coverage on that. And, uh, you know, your story is very interesting. I think a lot of people are going to really get a lot of information out of this because we're seeing, you know uh, – and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had also colitis and have yeah. – dramatically improve or resolve that using diets. And uh, it's something that I'm seeing pretty frequently now. And I think this is something that I think is going to get a lot of attention in the coming years uh, as we, and I know you shared an email with me, with the folks from Ubiome to talk about some microbiome research regarding your type of situation and also with kind of carnivorous diets or other diets. I think that's great stuff. Um, Adam. Uh, I know we did you and I. We actually did a consult together a while ago, and I know we mm-hmm. talked about a lot of stuff. But I mean, you know, you you you're just a you're a good-looking dude, man. I think the consult must have done that, man. That's what it was.
0: <laughs> he was he yeah, was he was,
1: down that. <laughs> yeah, he was butt ugly before I saw him. He did a you consult. Got to
0: get a guy. testimonial up on that website with this picture. Yeah, <laughs> I've been working on my face
2: all morning, guys. There, I've been up since go. five.
1: Yeah, I've I, I, I I, I worked on my face, but it make it uglier. But hey, all right. So let's Adam. For those who don't know you, just just tell us a little bit about you know, where you are from, who you are, what you do. And then kind of, let's get into that story. Cause I know you've had a very long battle and journey with this, with this really sort of problematic disease and we could talk into that and then we'll get into that and start branching off into questions and I'll, I'll let Zach actually talk and <laughs> 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 all right. Let's get, all right okay, go ahead there, Adam.
2: Okay. Well, um, Perth, Western Australia, born and, and bred. Um, I don't know how much background you want, but I'll just try and stick what's relevant. I grew up on a semi-rural property uh, in a vineyard uh, area of uh, just, just in the outskirts of Perth metro area. So my dad worked um, part you know, full-time, but was a hobby farmer part-time. So I got, got to sort of experience um, farm life and enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, as far as my journey with kind of my illness and my diet, uh, is concerned. It kind of started when I was seventeen, and uh, about seventeen, I started considering going on a vegetarian diet. Um, mainly, I think uh, reflecting on that, I think it was an ethical decision. I, I uh, you know, I got quite attached to the farm animals, and was never um, <clears throat> that comfortable when the uh, the guy with the van and the and the you know and the slaughtering occurred in the shed when. Um, that had to happen so I, I couldn't really resolve how I felt about that so I decided that well you know maybe you know I can take a stand and or just you know personally resolve that in myself by choosing not to to eat animals so I did that when I was 18 um and it would have been about um yeah just calculating 12 years after that is when I first got sick so that was in 2005 um and I, st- I stuck with a vegetarian diet for three years after that. Um, but it was from then on that I started to explore uh, other dietary solutions um, to see if I could work out, you know, what could what could resolve my condition.
1: So, Adam, tell us a little bit about, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you had a uh, background as, as a, you know, a vegetarian background. And I think that's we see that a lot of, a lot with, you know, younger and younger people. And I think that's something that I don't blame people for choosing that. I can see where the ethical argument makes sense to people, but I think there's a lot of things that we, we don't realize when we make that decision to come to bite us later. So tell us about how you came to realize you had this problem with, with ulcerative colitis. What was it like? What is, what is it, for people that don't understand what it is, can you talk a little bit about what the disease means to to your day-to-day life, life and, and, and how it affected you?
2: Yeah it's a, I appreciate the question uh Sean I've been um considering how to communicate this because it is one of those diseases which is fairly hidden um in the community um only yesterday I you know discovered a, a person um who uh you know told me they had uh Crohn's and um you know by all you know all appearances that person looked healthy and fine um but once they started sharing their story with me, I really got to see and I, you know, from knowing from my own experience as well, just how much uh, um, they suffer in the background um, behind the scenes. Um, so it is one of those things which is, is is good to get out there. There's, you know, there's, there's also support groups on Facebook that I've been engaging with, um, you know, just sort of being there, supporting people, I've got to be careful. I got kicked off one for suggesting a radical, crazy diet. <laughs> so I've had to tone down that. So I'm just, um, you know, trying to be a support because there is a, you know, there is a, there is an issue with the diet being um, not well understood and people having to sort of suffer in silence. So the, the illness itself is, um, well, the way it started for me, I'll just talk about my experience is that uh, it was just, it seemed to creep up on me over over a few years. If I think back correctly, I think it was about three or four years before I was diagnosed that I was suffering digestive issues. And again, it's one of those things you don't really talk about it. Um, so I didn't. And, uh, you know, who wants to hear about bowel motions? It's not the most, most (laughs) popular conversation socially. So, you know, I I kept it to myself and, um, and then it got then it got bad. Then I started uh, noticing there was blood in the toilet and um, more pain, and then the urgency. The ur- urgency to go is the is the big thing. That's that's the most well for me. I know a lot of people suffer different symptoms uh, differently, but for me, the urgency is the most um, damaging aspect of the of the disease because it uh, means that you sometimes have literally two minutes to get to a toilet and you don't have a choice about that and the uh resulting anxiety of that is um sort of compounds and really does impact um big you know lots of your lives that you know so they were the symptoms there was blood um and there was pain and there was urgency to go. So I went to the doctor. I was initially um, misdiagnosed with, um, what is it called? Celiac. I had the uh, blood test and I had a positive result for the blood test for celiac. So then I had an endoscopy and colonoscopy and that's when I was properly diagnosed with colitis. Um, I had pancolitis, which is the whole colon. Uh, there are different regions of the colon that can get inflamed and they're diagnosed as separate, well, not separate illnesses, but you can have um, uh, proctitis, I think, which is just around the rectum. Um, uh, They they, they describe, you're probably aware, Sean, the different sides of the colon um, as being inflamed and and call it different things. Anyway, I had pancreatitis, so the whole thing was quite um, badly inflamed. And I was put on a high dose of um, prednisolone Uh, which is, I'm sure most people probably wear prenicillin It's a pretty common drug that's used for uh, inflammatory illnesses. Um, But you can't stay on it for very long because it has pretty drastic side effects. So I was on that for about six months to a year before it settled. And then I was put on a course of of, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and I was told I'll be on those for the rest of my
0: life. Yeah, Adam. Um, you know, one thing I was really excited to have you on the sh- on the on the show for was, uh, uh, and I think the timing ended up just being perfect because my my parents were in town visiting this last couple of days, and we got on this topic of kind of like what, like what is something that or like what is how much motivation do you need in order to like manipulate your diet when we have like essentially anything we want available to us nowadays. And you know, one of the things we kind of came to the conclusion of is like there are there are people out there. And we've had guests in the past like Michaela Peterson who are in such pain or in such discomfort due to certain foods in their diet or maybe a whole host of foods in their diet that it's not even a question anymore of an enjoyment of food. It's not like, oh, I can't help the craving anymore. It's just like I need to do whatever I got to do to start feeling at least remotely decent. And I don't think most people can relate to that because – you know, some people, they'll eat some food, and I think in a lot of cases, they'll get a little bloated. They maybe don't feel 100%, uh, but then we have folks like yourself or like Michaela Peterson who are like, you know, they pay for it for days sometimes after they eat the wrong thing, or, you know, if you're in a situation where, like you were mentioning, like, you know, if, if you do something wrong in your diet, you might be in a position where uh, you have to rush to the bathroom in, in two minutes, and there's no bathroom within two minutes, which is, is obviously not going to end well. So like, how do you, how do you, how do you describe that to people like who just really don't have any connection point to that?
2: Yeah, sure. Just on that urgency and not having a bathroom issue there, look, there was a very fun thread on the, on the uh, Facebook, also colitis and Crohn's forum where people were just telling their stories about where the, uh, most awkward places are that they've had to go, had to go when they had to go. Yeah. Um. So you know, it it is it is kind of um, sad and scary, but you know we have to try and laugh about that, you know somehow. Um, so yeah, I just put a little plug in for that those that, those Facebook groups. So people who need to uh, feel like they want to, you know, have some community around this issue, then they're really great for that. So um, about the food stuff, it's pretty funny because I've been on so I so many crazy diets. I've even forgotten so I'm like, they keep coming back to me. I've I've tried everything I could find. I even tried crazy pills, crazy supplements, you know, things, just random stuff. Um, you know, that any sensible person would go, there's no hope in hell that's going to work out. And what are you doing? But that's just who I am. I've, I've got that, um, Openness, I guess, to try different things, and thankfully I have because it's found me my health eventually. So that that's wonderful. But a lot of people don't have that kind of attitude. It's it's very interesting. I've you know I've spoken to people and they tell me directly, look, I don't want to eat like that, and I don't like that food, or I don't like how it's going to restrict my life. And although I'm sick, I'm happy to just tick along with my medications. And and honestly, I'd rather have my bow removed, which is the often uh, the ultimate. solution for the uh, for osteoarthritis. um i'd rather have my bowel removed than do any crazy diet thing so <clears throat> yeah it's, it's interesting uh, how you know some people uh, are more predisposed to experimenting um and and some people aren't but as far as the adherence goes uh yes it does provide a lot of uh, resolve. Like every day I get up and I go, wow, you know, it's 14 months since I've been sick. Um, and but still every day I get up and I go, wow, I'm, am I really not sick? Um, so there's, you know, the, there's a lot of motivation, there you know, it's, it has such an impact in your life that there is a lot of motivation to stick to the diet. Um, and I have to say the carnivore diet, all the ones I've tried is by far and away the easiest and many people reported this, you know, the easiest to stick to. Um,
0: Adam, what did, what drew you to the carnivore diet originally? Because I know like some people, if they just do a kind of a quick Google search, they might find that, Oh, meat's going to like actually negatively impact, uh, colitis. So what kind of got you down the rabbit hole of maybe I'll try this, this approach?
2: Yeah, it came from <clears throat> the keto path. Uh, I think I heard Sean on oh, Keto Geek podcast. So that that's how I found the carnival diet. Uh, but w- how, where I kind of first found the clue uh, around sort of low carb and, and keto was when I was on prednisolone and I was researching how not to get really fat to build on, to put on weight because with they caught you get moon face. You get a lot of um, fat accumulation around the gut, um, the arms. You lose muscle mass um, because of the way I think it interacts. Sean will probably know a bit more, but the way it interacts with insulin uh, is something that cortisone does. Um, so I was trying to manage the insulin spike, uh, and I, that's where I found low carb. Uh, but that was way, that was two thousand. 10 i think i've yep 2010 i first discovered that um and then uh yeah it was it was through yeah just following the community and as you do and uh keep experimenting
1: yeah adam uh yeah prednisolone is just one of a class of medications that fall one drug at a class of medications called corticosteroids which were ubiquitous Pretty much anytime somebody comes in with a weird inflammatory condition, one of their knee jerk things is to slap them on cortisone or, or corticosteroid. And that tends to have an anti inflammatory effect, but it does have a whole number of side effects weight gain, uh, you know, it, it, it antagonizes insulin, causes, you know, it can impact bone health. We see people, I used to see it all the time people who are on long term corticosteroids, and I mean, their bones turned to, to mush. So there's there's good reason we don't do that long term, and it's not a really good long term solution. And arguably, it's not even a good short term solution. It's it's at best a very uh, uh, problematic band aid, I would say. But um, so you had you had this condition for how many years? What did, I, I assume it probably waxed and waned. Did you ever find anything that seemed to over your years of experimentation seemed to work some? Because you do see other groups out there saying, well, this seems to work for my ulcer colitis and, and it may maybe it makes it fifty percent better and and that's kind of the way to do it. And I and I want to say I just commend you yourself and other patients for getting together on social media. I, I know social media is criticized and demonized and there's a lot of silliness and there's a lot of junk that comes out of it. But at the same time, I do think some progress is being made and I really I say that it sincerely because I know I was criticized for saying that I studied people on a carnivore diet like it was some crazy thing thing to think of getting information you know we used to talk about researchers would go out in the field and study these indigenous tribes and learn from them it's kind of the same thing you're just seeing a great group of people that all have the same issue and you can you can learn what commonalities they have and what seems to work and what what doesn't I think more and more physicians are sort of waking up to this idea that you know we can we can sort of crowdsource some of these problems and get some answers but tell me about you know, the waxing and the waning and how long you, 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 you had this issue and just kind of talk about what seems to work outside of a carnivorous diet, which for you has clearly worked well. And for many others, I might say.
2: Okay. Too hard to tell. That's the problem with elimination diets is that, um, and my condition is that there's sort of lag time for when, uh, the, um, a flare, the onset of a flare will occur. Uh, So I always struggled to know if anything was working at all. Um, and I've got some sense that some things worked and I think including meat in my diet was a, which I did, um, after I went, so I was raw vegan in 2010 for six months. Then I was fruitarian for six months and then I tried the paleo diet. Um, and from, from then on my symptoms have trended, uh, on, up or better, trended down, so um, never completely resolved and until it's completely resolved there's still you know a high level of anxiety because you know like I said, the symptoms of 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 an urgency are, uh, are such that um you know they never go away until you and I still suffer from the anxiety, but they never go away until they you know, you, you kind of feel completely cured um, so I do feel that meat was a factor back in the day. Uh, when I added it as uh, to to help with my condition, but no, I couldn't identify any other of the dietary interventions that had any uh, positive impact. And I tried so many. I tried all sorts of probiotic things, kefir, raw sauerkraut, um, you know, heaps of different probiotics. Um, I guess part of the problem too, Sean, is you're always sort of riding this fine line with what do I do with my medications so how how do you, and I know this is sort of a problem with people with autoimmune and they're on some pretty serious immune suppressant medications and then they're looking to do a dietary strategy. Um, It's just a challenge to know what the impacts the medication might be having on maybe stalling or preventing the dietary intervention from helping. Um, I fortunately, uh, I think never went on any of the biologicals, which are um, they are sort of, they come from cancer treatment. I think it's infliximab. I think they're called, I wrote them down so I could get it right. Remicade. There's different brand names for them, brand names for them, but you might know them, Sean, they, they act on tumor, ne- tumor necrosis factor. Anyway, they're more intense uh, drugs than what that I went on. And um, they're also very expensive. They, potentially cost up to, I don't know, $2,000 per infusion. You sometimes need those infusions every couple months, depending on your, um, you know, on your disease state. Um, so I never went on those and I wonder if I had, would have, I had the success that I did, um, with the carnival diet. So quickly, um, I just wanted to throw that out there with the whole medication thing. Um,
1: yeah, I think you know. Again, this is a lot of sort of unknown area, and I, I think we have to be cautious about saying don't take this medication because it may may negatively impact your ability to cure your your problem with with diet. Although it may, I mean, you know, we got, we look at some of these tumor necro tumor necrosis factor alpha inhibitors and other immunomodulating drugs, and they have some significant side effects. You know, we look at long term. I see these people that are on the same type of drugs for things like rheumatoid arthritis, and we will see that their risk for cancer goes up their risk for infections go up and so we've got you know when you're knocking down the immune system and, and as you know ulcer colitis is considered one of these autoimmune type diseases you know there there's consequences to that and, and you know certainly you know a diet seems like a better approach particularly if it's more efficacious which perhaps it is i think that the jury's still out on that but hopefully we'll get some more data as more people share their, their, their collective anecdotal stories, and we can compile that, and then hopefully, you know, eventually lead towards uh, clinical trials, which I think would be wonderful for the community. Let me ask you, um, I know you say you've, you've been 14 months essentially symptom-free. Uh, I know I've seen you've done several uh, microbiome studies. Uh, what other studies, and we'll talk about those in detail, I think, but what other studies have you uh, pursued. I mean, have you have you looked at inflammatory markers? Have you had a colonoscopy since the diet? What what kind of things are out there that, other than you just not having to run to the bathroom every you know fifteen times a day or whatever, whatever the frequency was, how is or, or with the urgency or the bleeding, uh, which is what in the end that's really what we, we we all we really care about. We just want a normal life back. But can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the more people would consider objective data regarding uh, your 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 remission or cure or you know lack of lack of active symptoms and it's 14 months the longest you've ever gone without symptoms
2: certainly is yes i had um the longest period i had before i went on the carnival diet was about eight months ten months uh without a flare um so yes 14 months is is the longest i've had as far as uh tests go i had a test With my, so I went and saw my gastroenterologist, who I have to see every year, or more often if I'm sick. Um, And uh, she tested me for all the all the all the labs uh, that they usually do, and I get forty usually get about forty vials of blood taken when I have my uh, bloods done. So there's a lot. I don't. I'm not (laughs) that um, detail orientated that I pay enough pay much attention to that. I just listen to. what my doctor says about, about them. Uh, she said, they're all fine. Uh, the, the, the BUN or whatever the, uh, the, the protein metabolism one was up pretty high, but I told her I was on a, a paleo diet. So that made sense to her. And she had no problem with the increased level there. Um, she just said, that's just cause you're eating more protein. Big deal. So that was good. Um hang on a second. I'm gonna let me just applaud your doctor because there's so many doctors that think you're <laughs> an
1: player if you've got a high a high BUN. But that is a typical, not unusual finding, and it's not even abnormal for people on a higher protein diet. So I think that point is bravo for your doctor for not being a knucklehead. Um, now it could be a problem, but if but it, but it, but if clinically everything else is going well and you know you're eating a high protein diet, an elevated BUN is typically not an issue. But, Sorry to, inter- sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to get that point across. All right, back to the back to the stuff, Adam.
2: So as far as the rest of the stuff, it was all fine. Cholesterol was crazy high. <laughs> um, so I had to do an intervention on that. Um, and I went back two weeks later and got it down um, in half using the well-regarded method of resolving your cholesterol issues that we all know about on the internet. Um, Allah J. Feldman.
1: Okay, I was going to ask you. You did Dave's protocol. Yeah, you just you just kind of you just kind of you know you you make the lab number or whatever it makes your doctor happy, and it really doesn't matter too much probably. But anyway, that's a that's a whole different podcast, man. We've had guests on there, and we've got a couple of cardiologists coming on in the near future, so we'll chase down that rabbit hole. But we'll keep going
2: with your story. As far as the colonoscopy goes, um, I'm looking at having one next year. I try not to have as more than I need, so I haven't needed one because I don't have any symptoms of the disease. So my doctor's not concerned. The previous col- uh, colonoscopy showed some inflammation. I wasn't I had a flare but it wasn't uh you know super bad. Um so she hasn't had to follow up on that one other than just wait for the the normal schedule uh which is I think next year. So uh, basically because of my disease and the risk for cancer, I've got to have colonoscopies fairly regularly now um, for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of people, you know, this is one thing, a point I like to make. And, you know, we we all hear about red meat is associated with, with colon cancer. And that association is an epidemiologic association, which is actually quite weak. It's very weak. You know, it's about a 17 percent, 17 percent risk. You know, if you believe the World Health Organization data, and I think there's reason to even question the validity of that particular report. And I think a lot of people are, are, are actually requesting that besides me. But. When we talk about your colon cancer risk as an ulcer colitis patient, it's way, way higher than the general population. You know, we're looking at something in the order of, you know, a 3,000% increase depending on what study. You. So you've got 30 times the risk of the average person. And when we talk about, you know, the fact that you're eating red meat and it increases your risk by a mere 17% versus a 3,000%, you know, does the fact that we 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 get rid of the inflammation that's associated with this ulcer colitis and the bleeding and the damage, uh, to me it just makes very obvious sense that that is something that so far outweighs the, the minimal concern with this with this red meat consumption. That I think it's for your case in particular. I just think it's a no brainer, and honestly, I think it is probably for most people. But anyway, um, let me let me ask you about the microbiome because this is another sort of topic. And and I will say, in all you know, honesty, I seriously believe the microbiome has an impact on our health, but I honestly think we don't know anything enough to start saying what is the perfect microbiome. This this bacteria, the species versus that is the ideal ratio. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are some people that believe that you know a X amount of diversity in this particular species is important. And there's some data out there that a lot of people believe, and, and like I said, I'm very skeptical, and I think it's something that's going to take years to really uh, figure out, particularly over vast differences in population and, and situations and on so forth. But what has been your experience with microbiome over the last, I know you've had many, many tests. I think you said you've had like 13 or 14 tests. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Okay. So I've had 15 tests now since 2014. Um, uh, yeah. So I picked up on the microbiome fad um oh sorry it's just not a fad it's just you know it's just uh there's a lot of attention in the you know scientific community there's a lot of excitement about it um i picked up on that and um i thought okay maybe this is a path for me to investigate um my health um the all the tests are, are really variable f- over that four-year period before i started carnivore diet and i look back on that data now and i just can't seem to track anything that makes sense um, i try to make notes about what diet i was following at the time um, but there are p- other people out there who have shown that these tests are highly variable again sean it comes to the whole highly variable thing and then are making con- come making conclusions based on variable data. So it's one of those things where, you know, people have taken different samples from the same stool and then sent them off and had completely different results for that same stool. So I, I was kind of giving up on the whole thing and thought, I thought i would just give it another shot. Once I started carnival diet, I thought I may as well give it a go. My, <clears throat> my um, digestion is the best it's ever been. I feel great. Maybe there'll be something here I can, I can learn from. Um, so I just come off, uh, the vegan diet. Uh, I, I bought, um, Gundy's book, uh, Dr. gun it's called the plant paradox. And so I, I tried that for uh, like maybe a couple of months. Um, I lost a ton of weight. I lost like 10 kilos, um, in six weeks. It was it was a, oh, and, I, and I actually did a sort of a keto, ketogenic ver, version of the vegan diet, which is, um, I don't know, that just checks another uh, box on the list of extreme crazy diets I've done. I think I, <laughs> that's right up there. Anyway, I was making cabbage steaks, guys, cabbage steaks, t- taking them to work and people were just going, Adam, you've just, you've topped yourself. You know, this is the best ever you've done. Um, anyway, a friend actually, a friend at work, when I came to work with like about a kilo of of spinach in a bowl and you know drenched in olive oil and, and uh, you know, I don't know, macadamia nuts or something else, chomping that down. He goes, Adam, I did some research last night. And so I think you could be, you know, at risk here for um, getting quite sick because the oxalates in that spinach um, you know, it could be damaging you. And I was like, really? Okay. Spinach is bad. Um, so that, um, kind of put me in a little bit of a confusing space. And, uh, anyway, so that's, that's sort of when I went back on keto and found the carnival diet after that. But that last test I had when I was vegan is quite remarkable, uh, in its, uh, di- um, in its results being so sort of different to how I was when I, um, tested when i was carnivore for the next three times i tested so that's what i've been posting on twitter those four results i've had one uh test when i was vegan for six weeks or so and then a test one week after starting carnivore which is really interesting because it seems like my gut microbiome shifted so quickly um and then one uh four months after being carnivore and then one 12 months after being carnivore And the last two results are very interesting because they're so similar. So when looking at the microbiome and there's all this confusion and people are posting, oh, it's useless, all this citizen science stuff, they're just taking money and it's not actually providing any value. I feel like there might be an opportunity to start looking at um, how the microbiome reacts when you just got, when you limit all the variables and you've just got beef, what's going on with your microbiome when you just got beef going in and the other data that I haven't... I've got another test I'm going to do soon. But the other data I'm going to reveal when I, when I have the results from this test is there's a measure of um, elusive bacteria that they give you, okay? Um, elusive are the uh, 10 most uncommon bacteria that you have in your gut. So, you know, I'm, my measures of elusive bacteria were quite low as I was going through more all my other diets. But when I hit carnivore, there's like 10 10 and that's the most they'll give you is the 10 most right and there's quite high percentages on each of those bacteria what's interesting is the list of that bacteria are very similar from two tests from the four-month test after being carnivore and the 12-month test after being carnivore so i'm thinking that there might be an opportunity with some sort of trial that's run with this pretty um sort of it's restrictive obviously diet that can tell something a little bit more about the microbiome that's actually informative and useful because it's actually taking a lot of the variables out so there's that one issue and the other issue is diversity and i know i saw your youtube uh, video sean and i um i agree that a lot of the assumptions about the benefit of the diversity um are just that they're assumptions i i looked into diversity generally because it was you know it was very high on the on the carnivore diet you know it came up from a long way down and it was kind of the best measure a lot of the other measures on the carnivore diet for my gut they weren't great because i wasn't ha- uh, you know high in the numbers of specific bacteria that they assume are healthy bacteria okay again it's epidemiology where they get that data from it's following the standard diet where they get the data or a healthy diet they say they're healthy samples but still um it's biased towards that whereas de- it's biased towards a specific species of bacteria being good or not. Whereas species diversity is species agnostic. It, do, it doesn't matter what species it is. It's a measure of diversity. And the measure they use is, is a quite a robust uh, sort of algorithm that they have uh, derived from studies of plant and terrestrial ecology. So we know by looking at environments, on, uh, uh, the environment um, and my background is environmental science, and I work in, in that area, um, we know that um, plant um, diversity um, in a terrestrial environment is a good measure of ecosystem health. We know that. It's also a good measure of how well the ecosystem can recycle nutrients. Um, there's, a, 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 there's a particular uh, interesting um, uh, plant um, ecosystem in Western Australia, which is very, very high on the diversity rank uh, worldwide. On the, they call it the bio, it's one of the top four biodiversity hotspots worldwide. But, but what's interesting about it is it's in very poorly, uh, poorly, de- the poor, depleted soil. So they have very low nutrients in the soil. But somehow this ecosystem is thriving and healthy. And there's something about the diversity of that ecosystem which I find. Um, kind of interesting in its, you know, in that they, it is an assessment of health. And so I've kind of just transferred that over and just saying, well, maybe there's something going on here with diversity of microbiome that could be an indicator of health based on that, you know, that analogy, I guess.
0: Now for a word from our sponsors. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Butcherbox. ButcherBox offers you convenience by delivering your meat right to your door with free shipping. They also offer quality by having options such as 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, heritage-breed pork, and free-range chicken. They also offer value with their goal to make clean meat accessible to as many people as possible by partnering with a collective of small farms. They are able to deliver you the best products for less than $6 per meal, They often run promos on their website for subscribers to get things like free pork or free bacon. If you enter promo code HPO at checkout, you can also knock an additional $20 off your first subscription. So head over to butcherbox.com and place your first order. Now back to the show. Hey, Adam. Um, Sean, did you have a follow-up question with that? I'll let you go first if you do. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. I've got, I've got a lot of things I can ask. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was really curious because I be, before this interview, I was reading your your MeatHeals.com submission. And we had uh, Dr. Jofia Clemens on the show a couple episodes back. And one point of interest that I thought that she highlighted was, you know, kind of this transition phase into the carnivore diet. And she said that one thing that, that they've noticed there at the Paleo Medicina group was that when folks kind of have their ratios of fats to proteins off, that's when they're starting to notice some of those goofy transitions of like diarrhea that we sometimes hear folks transition to the carnivore diet getting. And your story was kind of interesting with that too, because you didn't just kind of do the carnivore diet and then hit the ground running. And it was all like, you know, sunshine and rainbows from there. You did it and the diarrhea came in. So you added plants back and then you eventually revisited it did you do anything with like your kind of protein fat ratios that second time around that you think maybe helped clear that situation up?
2: Uh, yeah, I did a little bit. Yeah. So I, I, I tried to get on board with the, um, the first, what was it, Sean? It was the N equals many.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, we did that back in August of 2017 was when we first did that. Yeah.
2: So I got to six weeks in that and I was like, oh, this isn't working because, you know, I didn't have blood. I didn't have, you know, um, um, any mucus in my stool. It was, wasn't was like it was uh, that bad, but it was still loose and I, it just concerned me. I thought this isn't working. So, um, and I was just eating, uh, I think pretty fatty because I came from the keto diet. So I was eating... Sort of quite high fat. I, I found personally the second time round by going a bit leaner that that helped resolve. It still took six weeks, six weeks. It wasn't, um, you know, like it resolved very quickly, I guess. But um, but I I don't know enough if it's that or if it was just that's how long it took. And second time I just had you know I don't know better luck or I don't know. But it, I, there was there was some adjustment. Um, in my gut that that did have did did mean so there was um poor digestive symptoms for for a little bit but that got resolved and now i can eat now if i have a fattier uh, day or a leaner day it just it's all good it doesn't matter now so obviously something's something's resolved yeah we
1: uh, and i i just i just saw uh, a up at uh, the carnivore convention we had last weekend up in uh, boulder that i Herd heard it put on and you know, we had chatted and, you know, her recommendation is typically a two to one fat to protein ratio, which works out to about, an. I calculate it's about an 81% of your calories are coming from fat, which is, you know, can be a little bit on the high side for people, but you know, that's what their protocol is. And, and, and I would imagine that there's going to be people that fall on, on, on a spectrum with that. I, I just find it hard to believe you can say every single person has a requirement to eat exactly that much, but you know maybe their data that supports that. But I, I've seen anecdotally from people that have talked to me, and they seem to thrive in different ranges. And you know, I mean, personally, I'm sitting at about 65% fat typically. If I had to say, if I had to guess, sometimes even slightly leaner, maybe maybe sometimes a little more. But but you know, the interesting thing is that you know we're still learning a lot of these things. And I know we had an interesting guest on uh, a few episodes ago by the guy by the name of Elliot Overton. And we discussed the phenomenon of oxalate dumping. And so people that are often on a ketogenic diet are, like you said, they're 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 really pounding the oxalates pretty hard through the spinaches and the almond flowers and all the other keto foods that we're told that are great to eat. And they end up with uh, potentially some level of oxalate overload or, or toxicity or whatever you want to call it. And then when they start to flush that out of the system, it can cause Precipitate symptoms, and some of those may be GI related. Some of them may be joint pain. Some of them may be rashes, and so those things are, are going on. So I think we still have a lot of work to do to learn some of this stuff, and I think it's going to be something that evolved over the next, you know, several years. Um, let me ask you about um, so what are you currently eating right now? Because this is always a you know there, there there is some so again when somebody tells me on they're on a ketogenic diet, I really don't even know what that means anymore as, as to what they're actually eating. I understand what they're you know, what they're, maybe they're, they're producing ketones, if that's what do, but they could be eating all kinds of products and snacks and fake sugar and, you know, all that. So, so I don't know what they're actually eating, but on a carnivore diet, you know, you pretty much kind of know what people are eating. You know, it's going to be some kind of meat, you know, and then there, then there's, you know, there's maybe little, little eggs and fish and dairy and that stuff around the edges, coffee plus or minus, so, so, so. But what, what, if you could describe your diet kind of on a, just on an average day, and I know you're in Australia, so probably your beef is grass fed, but I don't know. I mean, some people think yeah. that's very important. I'm, I'm kind of agnostic on that, uh, on that topic, quite honestly, but yeah. tell us in, in detail for people that don't know what would be, if you were to average a typical month of, of, of your food, what, what would they look like percentage wise?
2: Okay. So cost is a, um, an issue. So I prioritize uh, cheap meat, um, so that means a lot of chuck. Is, is that a cut that you guys are familiar with? You call yeah, it chuck?
1: chuck? Chuck roasts, yeah. They're, they're fairly fatty. They're, they're, they're I, actually, you cook them well. they're nice. I actually
2: really enjoy chuck roast. I, I like all the connective tissue in it. Um, I put in a slow cooker overnight um, and then just chop it up put it in containers and off I go. And it comes up sort of in the container about that far with, I don't know, brothy, it's like jelly, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, it's sort of gelatin, I guess. Um, Anyway, so to me, it's just delicious. It's just, it's the perfect meal, and I love it. I'll eat that all day long. And then sometimes I've got to grill out the front. I like to have some fun, and, you know, I love barbecuing. I love, um, you know, tempting all the dogs in the neighborhood because I grill out the front and they walk past and want to be my friend. That's good fun. (laughs) So, yeah, I do a bit of grilling. Um, Yeah, I throw in eggs occasionally. I, I like eggs, but oh yeah it's one of those things it's so funny just beef is and and eat lamb i mean lamb's really reasonably priced and very valuable and it's grown you know um uh you know on grass and that's good apparently uh yeah i'm not that into lamb um beef is just my is my favorite and i i fish if yeah yeah just beef yeah, you're, kind
1: of, you're very similar to me. Are you? Are you? Are you eating a lot of organ meats? Because we, we, there are some people that think that organ meats are absolutely essential. Is that something that you've you found that has been helpful for you?
2: Oh, the organ wars! This is like the protein wars in the keto community. <laughs> <laughs> um, I look. I've tried, you know, because you know, there's so so many proponents of the carnivore diet which are passionate about this need to. Have organs so I, you know I give them a go and you know i kind of also know that it used to be part of my grandparents diet and um and i'm prepared to accept that we've just you know lost a taste for them so it might just be something i have to try to um get over but i hate the taste of organs
1: <laughs> so i would assume you don't eat them very often <laughs> I mean, I had some the other day, and i and I you know, like I said, I'm not opposed to trying the stuff I had you know, I had some brain, I had some kidney, I had some liver, I had some testicle when I was in iceland and and honestly, I've tried it all, and I'm the same way I'm like, I just this doesn't taste good to me, and I don't know why I would need something that would be essential to my body that that I don't particularly enjoy. I just
2: you know i, I I've talked about
1: this, I've
2: talked about this a lot. About that, I know you talked about a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of noise in the community, but I just don't understand how we can accept that there are people in the community that have been on carnivore diet for ten plus years and not eaten organs and they're healthy like how do they how do how does that make sense?
0: yeah, it seems like it it, it clearly is not necessary for some folks, and I'm not sure if they just have like a a really well formulated non organ all meat based diet. That's they're getting all the stuff they don't need that, like, you know, extra like super vitamin rich uh, you know, meat source. But uh, I don't, I mean, Adam, you're speaking my language with the slow cooker. I'll, I'll add that real quick because, like, yeah. I've been doing that the last couple, well, I've been doing it for a long time, but the last couple days I've been kind of in a routine with it. And I'll just take like some bone broth and put in the slow cooker and drop a chuck roast in. And, uh, you know, the, the chuck roasts. I find interesting because they seem they seem like Sean said, you can get some with a lot of fat on it. They just tend to not be marbled. So you get like the big cuts of fat on there and uh you let that sit in there in the slow cooker all day long and it's uh it's pretty good pretty good come dinner time. Is that, how long do you slow cook yours for?
2: About eight hours if it's a couple of kilos. hmm
1: Yeah, how much are you eating a day? Well, that's another question. Are you eating a kilo a day or what what's your intake about? Depends on
2: my activity. Yeah, it depends on my activity. Um I've got a very inactive job at the moment. Um, so I'm just even as low as a kilo a day. So what's that? A couple of pounds, just over two pounds. Um, but if I'm, if I'm active, um, I'll eat two kilos a day. Are you doing multiple meals or you kind of doing the one meal a day setup? Um, my preference is to eat, um, probably mid morning and then mid afternoon and that's it. Two meals. Uh, Sometimes I'm only one meal just because I'm like I said I've got a new job now and it's a bit more restrictive in what I can do. So I've got to go to the kitchen to eat and they won't let me eat my steaming pot of meat at my desk like I could in my previous job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Adam, outside of the uh, the benefits of you know not dealing with ulcer of colitis, what other sort of mental health, physical health benefits have you seen, if any? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that over the fourteen months that you've been on the diet?
2: Yeah, look, I've, I I have been diligent about being physically active all through my illness, um, specifically after about two thousand and ten. So when I started to do the diet interventions, I started looking at. So I started with a vegan diet. Um, cause there was a guy who wrote a book about having ulcerative colitis cured on a vegan diet. So I started there. Um, so whatever diet I did, I still kept being active. So, um, um, so there's, it's difficult to know if I've improved any of those, any of those aspects of, of my health. Um, the mental health side of things, look, I think it just comes with the, the, the freedom from sugar cravings. I just don't get those afternoon lulls. I just seem to be pretty cruisy. Um, You know, I I don't get the sugar rushes. So I think that's a benefit for sure. Um, uh, I'm going to get another Dexa scan. I've had one all just before I started the diet. So I'm going to, I'm curious to see if I have increased bone density and um, lean tissue uh, mass. So I'm going to do that soon. Um, I d- I definitely feel like it's, I've built lean mass without much effort. I definitely feel that I did go to the gym for a little bit last year for a few months, but it wasn't really my thing. I usually just do more sort of aerobic um, calisthenics sort of dancing style exercise um, that I kind of just make up just from a bit of yoga, just, just do a bit of exercise every morning um, so I don't do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, body building stuff, but my, I feel like my lean mass has increased as well. Just, you know, just after the, starting the diet, it's probably just not being sick as well. My body resolving, you know, the, you know, the issues about being sick.
1: Yeah. I mean, probably a combination of you being able to, to probably better absorb nutrition and then a higher quality nutrition certainly is what, what I would say. But, let me ask you, I mean, you've 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 been struggling with this for, for many, many years and I'm sure you've had people that have known this and have been around you. Have they commented on the fact that you know you're doing better and are they curious and, and, and if they ask you about you're doing this crazy all-meat diet, what has been the response that you've gotten so far?
2: It's been amazing. It's been so positive. Um and I've you know, I've got friends and family who are um, you know, ethical vegans and um, you know just normal people who think that eating a heap of meat is crazy um, they've been very very supportive and I think that to me is like a, a bit of a superpower for people who have got serious illnesses that are resolved with the carnivore diet is that we can just you know without any sort of virtue signaling or whatever you know pontificating, just talk quite genuinely about how we did something and it made us healthy and no one can really criticize that. No one, no one has. And I I don't think anyone face to face at least would do that to someone. So um, I see that as a, you know, a huge opportunity and it gives me a lot of resolve to actually just talk to people and try and get it out there. Cause as much as it's a bit of a paradox for me, Sean, because I, wouldn't have found out or wouldn't have probably um, got onto it as quickly as I did about the carnivore diet. If you um, weren't such a provocateur and got a lot of attention.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Adam. And maybe, maybe Sean has a different experience, but I can't say I've ever met a mean vegan in person. It seems like the only ones that ever give any grief are the ones that are sitting behind a keyboard. So I don't know if they're only sitting behind a keyboard or what the deal is with that. But um, it's good to hear that, like, you know, people around you are understanding that, you know, for, for someone in your position where, you know, changing your diet is to this, this one way is the one thing. And you've certainly explored all other avenues is the way to kind of get you feeling normal and can appreciate that. Yeah, we
1: have uh, you know just uh, this the uh, discussion about me being a provocateur. You know, I, I quickly realized that you know if you have a message that you want to get out, somebody has to hear that. And we live in a time of tweets and you know five second sound bites and lots of propaganda. And so you really kind of have to play that game. And uh, you know, I'm trying to do that. At the same time, I'm trying to educate. I'm trying to inspire. I'm trying to you know, build community, and I think it all kind of comes together, and I think in the, in the end run, there's going to be a lot of people that, that ultimately, you know, experience what you do and, and get relief from disease, and that's the end of the day, what, what hopefully myself and others that are in this community are trying to accomplish, you know. Um, w- there are people that would tell you, and, and I see that happen to poor Michaela Peterson all the time, that, you know, it's it's all in your head, you really, you really weren't even sick, and, and, and I mean, what, what do you say when you, when you, get that sort of response and it inevitably yeah. comes and again it's usually online we see it online all the time people don't know they don't know anything about you they, they just make these assumptions because it couldn't be real how could it possibly be that eating a diet that doesn't have lots and lots of plants could possibly be healthy what are your what are you what is your response to the people that say it's placebo or you know you you were never even sick in the first place
2: I, I anticipated there might be that I haven't had anyone sort of I haven't anyone say that to me directly, um, even on social media, but, um, I know that's happened. Um, and I've, yes, we've seen that happen to Nikala. Uh, I, you know, I thought about getting out, I got my results of my colonoscopy. We've got the photos of my colon. If you, wanna, <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> you know, I thought about doing all that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't didn't really want to. So I guess, I just hope that my message message gets out. There's some people who, um, like I said before, some people don't want to try it. Some people are just happy to eat the food they want and take the medication that they have access to. You know, it is heavily subsidized by our government. Like I said, I was, you know, taking about $8,000 worth of medication a year. Um, it wasn't costing me $8,000 to do that. It was probably more like $2,000. So, we're, you know, we're heavily supported by our government to just take the medication. Um, so you're going to get people who just take the meds and, and not inspired to actually do anything diet uh, with diet related. Um, but I think there'll be more people out there like me. And there, obviously there are cause meat heels is growing that the website's growing with us people's stories. There's going to be people who kind of just say, Oh yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just take the, you know, I've got a bit of a, I don't know, pacifist approach, I think. And, but at the same time, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a paradox to me because I have appreciated that there are people like you, Sean, who are prepared to, to take it to the people who are kind of bringing, bringing all the grief to you. Um, so yeah, but it's just my approach. I tend to sort of try and find where we can all meet. And one of the things that I'm most inspired about at the moment is actually, I'm um, connecting with uh, the farming community. um, so I've gone to a couple of uh, events um, in my local area, and I'm going uh, on Friday to a the farmer farmers federation uh, conference. I'm going to go to sundown in there and just talk to people and just say, look, um, I was a, because right now I'm, we're having a lot of trouble in the farming community because with sort of just the antagonism of uh, animal activists getting on their property. Um, that some of these cases are going to court, but they're not being um, heavily penalized you know they're just getting off a little bit easy even though they're you know the the farming community is demanding stronger action bit taken so that's happening it's what it's doing is kind of um creating this division and and i think right now we need to sort of build bridges and specifically around the issue of the opportunity to engage farmers somehow in a um a practice of farming which is um, able to carbon sequest carbon into the, into the soil profile because it's, it's shown, um, and we've known this for many years now, there's so much science around this that um, grazing uh, uh, is the well managed grazing uh, can sequester enormous amounts of carbon um, if it's done in a certain way. Uh, but farmers are reacting to that. They don't want. To, they don't want to hear that stuff. You know, recently our, our local uh, agricultural minister uh, tweeted about it being a good option. Keep an open mind, and and the agriculture minister got attacked because she's seen to be on the side of the anti the animal activists because she has supported some of their animal welfare um, sort of ideas and issues. So there's this kind of, you know there's a breakdown there that I want to try and do something about. And I feel like I have an opportunity to say, look, I was vegetarian. I was an ethical vegetarian. Um, I have been on, you know, I have a lot of friends who do care about animal welfare and care about environmental issues. I'm not here today to talk about that. I just want to say thank you for making the food that's made me healthy. I feel like I can just say that to them and start trying to build a bridge here because uh, ultimately that could be the way that we could, you know, um, help mend some of the, you know, cause there's such polarization, you know, people just seem to jump on extremes and, you know, I think there needs to be work done to just try and find places where we kind of align and, and meet.
1: Yeah. Adam, uh, Zach and I have had several guests on in the, in the agricultural area we had, we recently had Alan Savory on, and many people point to as a, as a sort of visionary when it comes to holistic Grazing practices and it's 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 very complicated. You know, I think it, it's it's not a black and white issue I think there's a lot of different moving parts and different considerations that you know For us that don't work in that field don't understand all of it. And so it's very very You know difficult to see and some people trying to make it overly simplified and just try to Throw it throw the baby out with the bathwater So to speak when I'm talking about that I'm talking about the vegan Let's just get rid of all cows and end animal agriculture, which is never never going to be hap- happening And it won't ever be sustainable uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing, but I mean, I think the effort to bridge, you know, patients with the people that nourish them with food is, is a wonderful thing. It's something I'm going to be trying to bring to fruition this year with with an expanding sort of hopefully organizing this carnivore community or, uh, you know, animal foods based nutrition uh, and, 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 and just, uh, you know, bring all the people, all the players together, get them on the same team. You know, you know, because I think it's my responsibility as much or more so than these vegans that don't want to eat animals to ensure that, that the animals are treated, treated well, that we are good stewards for the environment. But it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be an easy solution. And I think there's a lot of different variables going in. The more I've studied this, the more I realize it. But I do think it's doable. And I think it's just a matter of changing the narrative. And I think people like you that are, I mean, I mean, you can see the tremendous impact animal nutrition has had on your, your, your actual health. And I think it's clearly an essential part of the human diet. And I think it's, it's, it's basically the more of it we get, the better we do. So that's going to be the way forward. I mean, there's a whole lot of things we can do and I think this is great. Um, Where do people find out about you? If we're looking to find out where, where the heck is Adam Viscovich located? How do we, how do we, how do we communicate with him? Where, where do they, you know, if they wanted to find more about your story about ulcer colitis and what you're doing.
2: Okay. Well, apparently there's only one Adam Viscovich in the world. (laughs) Um, So you can just Google my name Um, and my Twitter and my Meat Hill story. I think my Meat Hill story is the first hit now, which is cool. Um, And then my Twitter comes after that. And that's pretty much where I'm, uh, you know, available, I guess, or, or present on the internet. I really enjoy Twitter. um, so, yeah, I, I kind of tend to, to, to focus on that. Um, you know, I am present also on, on the Facebook pages although not, you know, not as much as Twitter. So, um, you know, I guess look out for more stuff in this space around um, my efforts to engage farmers around a positive message about their nutrition being um, good and we want that you know there's to bridge that city country divide that is always there and they used to say never criticize a farmer with your mouth um and but uh, the way i think about that now is that you know if your mouth is full of wheat (laughs) bix or cornflakes you know you have a different attitude than if your mouth if your tummy is full of you know delicious beef you know i can really feel that now i can really feel like i'm very grateful and thankful so that's where i'm going to start progressing uh from here and um if you want to just keep in touch with that just yeah keep in touch with my twitter um and um you'll see it there
0: awesome adam thanks so much for coming on the show and i I think our listeners are gonna like this one and i think people just need to kind of hear hear your story and see kind of what you did and how you kind of took control of your own health And uh, we will definitely link your Twitter page to uh, the show notes. So, listeners, definitely go give Adam a follow and uh, see what he's up to.
2: Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Sean.
0: Adam, it's a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers Podcasts is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So, if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at HPO podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.